RPG lessons learned. When the game is over, when your players are gone, that's when lessons are learned. We are at RPG LL Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, RPGLLPodcast at gmail.com, and check us out online at RPGLessonsLearned.com. Hi, welcome to RPG Lessons Learned, the show where you can learn from our mistakes. With me today is just Mike. Hello. So Brian's busy. He's got some things to take care of. So he left recording um, this week's episode to us. And today we're actually revisiting the Pathfinder campaign for a little game that we, after the fact, called Mummies the Word. I'll let you guess who the big bad for the adventure was. So Mike, this was immediately after Red Vetting. It was immediately after that war game with the guards. Um, coming off of Red Vetting, the feedback was it. we spent so long planning. We planned and planned and planned. You guys planned and planned and planned um, rather than execute. So we really wanted to counter that this time. I wanted to counter that. Did I succeed in getting you into this adventure pretty quickly? Uh, yeah, I think so. If, if I remember correctly, there was uh, basically a series of cutscenes you used to kind of jump us into the action on this one. Uh, kind of similar to you know the the movie cuts we've used in the past of you know think of think of that opening scene think of think of what this looks like you know compare it to to something you know and and use that to move it forward and and I think you did that if I remember correctly I think you had us jump right into this with uh, with Shalalu being in endangered and uh, and us getting right to helping Shalalu yes a, a runner uh, one of the children of, of town came and got you um, to 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 bring bring you to Shalalu to healer and we did some background with you know your god visited you and and gave you some rumors that powerful undead were at work and, and had awakened in sandpoint mercy had heard some things about some homeless disappearing down by the docks we started off with some rumors but boom you were urgently summoned you know practically dragged to the mayor's mansion by some of the some of the local children of Sandpoint that were used as, as runners and messengers. So right away, I pulled you straight into a hook, and you had to attempt to heal Shalalu from, I think, the one disease in the entire Pathfinder Beginner Box, which is, quote, mummy rot. <laughs> which sounds like a terrible, terrible thing to suffer from. It does. It does. It, it's like, it's what happens to Mother's Day flowers after, you know, the third week. In the vase, <laughs> the, the mummy rot sets in. That that's a nice pun. Yeah, it's pretty bad. <laughs> All right. So, also coming out of red vetting, you had just basically whipped the guards twice in a row in a war game, and I really tried to portray a lot of tension between you and the guards. How is that? Um, I think that came off pretty well. There, there definitely was some tension where you know we. We had defeated them, you know, soundly. They, they, you could tell they were resentful. You could tell they were a little untrustful. They were, they were still licking their wounds and, and not exactly excited about working with us. So you heal Shalalu. Shalalu tells you what got her, that some things had burst through the floor of this, of this warehouse down by the waterfront. You guys go there. You find the place surrounded by guards and... I was trying to do something here with the place being surrounded by guards. I was really 
trying to get a lot of things done in this adventure in a very fast way. And I had these these outline high points I was trying to hit. One of the high points I was trying to hit was to really show how Sandpoint was changing thanks to your influence. And, you know, all the guards at Shalalu's keep, you know, garrison where the guards stayed, plus all the guards surrounding this warehouse, you guys suddenly realize there's a huge uptick in the guard force that Shalalu had been recruiting and the guard force was growing thanks to all the threats you were uncovering or arguably bringing into Sandpoint. Had Sandpoint been feeling real for a while or did it start to come alive here? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I, I think for me, Sandpoint started feeling real when we, when we saw Shalalu kind of start to break down in her resolve, right? When, when she was getting to the point where she was no longer representing herself as that authority figure that that she was flawed and and had you know these 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 issues in dealing with us and the problems we were creating i think that had more of a an impact on on my character than uh than than reacting to the guards so you head down into the tunnel and I really wanted to get, again, hitting high points, right? So the high point of, let's get you into the adventure. The high point of, let's show the tension with the guards. The high point of, let's show how Sandpoint's changing. And then, boom, I get to the high point of, I wanted something really weird and outlandish. And do you remember what you found under the ground? Yeah, it was basically this this big, floating, suspended sphere that had obviously, you know, been there for a long, long time. This wasn't something that just cropped up. So so that, I'll say, was definitely interesting in that this was the first thing that happened in Sandpoint that couldn't be blamed on us. Yeah, so deep underground. You guys went underground for, for feet and feet and feet, and I narrated all the stuff and the, the loose dirt that had recently been dug where some undead boiled out of the earth eventually became the smooth stone passage, and you kept going down, down, down. And I really narrated when you stepped out into this huge, enormous cavern to where the the walls go off to the left and right and you lose sight of the walls. You lose sight of the ceiling. The torchlight can't touch you know, the floor, the ceiling, the walls. And suspended in the middle of this cavern with no visible means of support is this perfectly smooth stone sphere with a single stone bridge with no supports, with no struts, with no ropes to the ceiling, with no support you know, sort of, well, bridging, I'm trying to find a verb here, bridging the gap between where you guys were and the the sphere itself, pushing really hard for that alien sort of feeling. Um, I know I'm only interviewing you, but I've got to say I was pleased with the effect this had on Chris, Nathan, and Brian. Um, All of you were here for this adventure, and everyone was kind of like, ooh, and... I'm going to be I'm going to be honest Mike and you were there you saw it. I used a map from one of the the, the Wizards of the Coast map packs that came out with 4th edition. I can't remember if it was Haunted Temples, I can't remember which pack it came from, but if you google that, you can find pretty easily this map of of, of a big stone circle with a bridge leading to it. Um I actually built this adventure partially around that map. I went through my maps and I found one and I was like, ooh, I can do an adventure around this. That way, when I finally got to where I laid the map out, the illusion I was going for was, hey, here's what's going on, and I just so happened to have this map that perfectly fits it. 
when in reality <laughs> I did the opposite. Did that work on you, Mike? Yeah, it worked for me. Um, I, I think probably the the one thing that maybe didn't work so much is I did have a little trouble envisioning it from from that first person's perspective. So uh, I think I got a little too hung up on the map and the the top down, and that that made it a little more difficult for for me to instantly get. It's like, oh, this is this giant you know, supernatural floating orb that's connected by a stone bridge. How does this even work? I think the, the map made it a little more difficult for me to envision that, but then once I got my head around it, it, it worked pretty well. Yeah, the, the, the damnable thing about maps is that once you lay it down, as soon as that map hits the table, everyone's metagaming. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's like, oh, what's that? What's that? What are these six statues that are along my obvious path to the middle of the sphere? Oh, what's what's all these markings on the floor? Yeah. Yeah, or even the things that you can't, quote-unquote, see. Like, they're out of your line of sight. The things that are back in the back of the sphere, you're like, oh, what's this altar? What are these torches? What are these statues inside yeah. the sphere? Yeah, yeah. It, it's just, it's so tough not to metagame. As soon as you, but but it, to me it was worth it to lay the map down and then and you guys did a good job of of not betraying to to metagame and I gave you some interesting stuff but let's talk about the statues so it just so happened that on the map were these six statues three on either side of the stone bridge to get to the sphere and because I'd built the adventure around the map I really wanted to leverage the statues and talk about them. But I was also sick and tired from so many adventures of the statue always being a monster, always being <laughs> animated. Yep. So I decided I was going to play him up. And sure enough, Mike, I think it might have been you that brought up the never-ending story reference. Oh, of course it is. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's me going straight into metagaming, trying to use my outside world knowledge to to weasel my way out of traps, be they obvious or not. I mean, you know, it, it, it goes right back to the whole, you know, oh, let's let's dissect the tube of horrors with a five-point scalpel. Um, but yeah, that, that that's obviously it, you know. You see, you see six statues, three on both sides of a walkway, all lined up together one by one in sets of twos. I mean, that's... In my mind, that just sets off obvious trap. Even if I see that in like reality now, for like a second, I'm like, oh wait, that could be no wait, no, this isn't a game. That's I was going to ask that. I I'm, was at the ask, nation, like... I'm at the nation's capital. These are just regular statues, you know. <laughs> Thomas Jefferson <laughs> isn't going to have laser eyes that light up, and yeah. I think at the NTT, like, like we, uh, I'm going off the wall for a second, but my wife and I took a, a trip to Charleston not terribly long ago. Um, it was it was. In the spring, we took a trip to Charleston, and uh, we went to, I can't remember which plantation it was on, but we went to a couple of plantations. We went to, um, oh, it's a flower, Magnolia. That sounds right, yeah. And I think it was Middleton or Midford, I can't remember which one, but Middle, Middleton Place, maybe? Anyway, Susan found them. I can't remember which one had it, but one of them had this mausoleum, had this crypt, in, in the middle of the formal gardens, and I took a picture of it because here we are, surrounded by by hedges, by bushes that are like sixteen feet tall. I mean, these things are super wow. tall. Yeah. And then in the middle of it, it all opens up, and there's this huge mausoleum. And I mean, I say huge, um, the size of of a, of a good size room in a house was this outdoor mausoleum with with words carved into the stone on the outside, and the stone is, is hundreds of years old. 
at this plantation. So, you know, it's covered in moss and it's weathered and parts of the concrete are super dark and so parts of the concrete, you know, are not. Um, it just, the whole thing just had this amazing feel and all I could think was, this is great. I've got to use this for D&D. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like D&D has absolutely colored how I, how I go through life. And I have not yet been down a passage surrounded by statues on both sides, but I would probably feel a little trepidatious. Yeah, for real. <laughs> it makes you wonder why anyone decorated with statues. In a world where statues can come to life so easily, why would anyone ever decorate <laughs> with statues? Well, I mean, it's basic security, right? You decorate with the statues to have the chance to enchant them so that they come to life, and then they're, they're your, your built-in security guards. So it's the equivalent of when you don't actually have the security system. But you but have you the put... sign in the yard. Yes. 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 Yes, so you can't afford the wizard to enchant your statues. But when you have guests over, you pat your mundane statue and you say, you know I had a wizard enchant these. Don't, <laughs> yep. don't mess don't, around here after don't dark. Don't mess with my stuff, yep. When I'm not here, the statues are. <laughs> All right, so the statues. Someone brought up the never-ending story, and of course, there's a scene in the never-ending story where where the the paladin, the knight, rides up, and the statues see through him and see his cowardice, and as he rides between the two sphinx statues, the statues destroy him with with laser bolts from the eyes. And one of you guys played that up, and and it took you guys not a few minutes, but almost a minute to work up the courage for someone to quote unquote break the plane of yeah. that first pair of statues. I had a lot of fun being like, okay, wait, 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 who goes first? Who who breaks the plane? Okay, you put your hand out. Okay, nothing happens. <laughs> yep, yep. And yep. every time I said nothing happens, it was like, okay, well, now I'll step my body. Okay, you, your body. Okay, where are you standing? Which square? Okay, nothing happens. <laughs> and nothing was going to happen the whole way. And I think Nathan finally figured it out because we were about halfway, or I say we, as if I'm one of the players. It does feel that way sometimes, though. You guys were about halfway across, and I think Nathan was like, I just walk up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that that sounds about right, yeah. So inside the sphere, as you guys got closer, there were torches lit. And I let you see from outside, even while you were still on the stone bridge negotiating these statues, I let you see this Death Knight, which in the Pathfinder Brigander box, he was actually a skeletal champion. But still, I portrayed him as, as a Death Knight. He's the skeleton like no other skeleton you fought before. Every other skeleton's kind of rickety, covered in cobwebs and dusty and dirty. This guy was a skeleton wearing a full suit of armor, not rattling when he walks. In fact, he was kind of sitting there calmly watching you guys approach, you know, with his burning eyes. And then as you got closer, he, you know, he engages you. And it was him uh, along with two skeletons and two zombies for backup. That Death Knight fight, I just had a really tough time challenging you with those Sandpoint guards, and by God, I was going to challenge you. What did you think of the combat in this adventure? I have trouble remembering back to the specifics of the combat, but I do remember we were somewhat intimidated in this game because we came into this game knowing it'd be a challenge. We we knew you were a little upset with, with how easily we rolled the Sandpoint guards in the last game. And I think you had said at the beginning of this game, or leading up to it, that that you were going to try, you know, darn you, to make combat finally challenging in this campaign. Yeah, I always say that. So, so <laughs> I think when we saw, you know, when we when we saw that skeletal knight or that death knight, you know, at the end of the walkway, just kind of chilling there, not reacting to us, not charging us. I think that was when we kind of knew that oh, something, something here is is dangerous. So you guys fight him. It was a pretty tough fight. You win. 
Um, I think what threw you guys off the most, I, I love the beginner box monsters having different mechanics, and he in particular had damage reduction. You know, I, I guess representing that, that armor, that skeletal champion in the beginner box had, had DR. So I think it was five damage reduction for every hit. So it took you a healthy few minutes to take him down. Another thing I was trying really hard to do in this adventure, I was always teasing the next thing. Like, you guys have the dreams and the visions, and I've got the kid show up. You're healing Shalalu, and I've got Shalalu telling you about these undead. You go to the warehouse with the undead, and I've got this hole in the ground. You go in the hole in the ground, and you find this bridge, and while you're still on the bridge, you see the Death Knight. And then while you guys were fighting the Death Knight, I had you here chanting. In the back of the sphere where you couldn't see, where you had no line of sight, there was all this chanting and like spell recitation and all that. So trying to build this sense of urgency during the fight. Did it feel urgent? Yeah. And I think our best games, the the games we have the most fun with, and I hate to say this because it totally makes us sound like really bad players, and maybe we are, um, but our best games are always when you basically you know feed us like we're baby birds. There's always that little crumb that just leads us into the next scene, the next scene, the next scene. We always falter whenever it comes to that moment of, what do you guys want to do next? And then we all just kind of sit there dumbfounded until someone finally pipes up and is like, well, I'll do, do the thing. So I think this one really exemplified that here's your lead, here's your lead, here's your lead, here's your lead. Yes, it's obvious, but it's keeping the game flow moving. And if you make the wrong decision based on the obvious thing, it's going to have negative consequences. So you get around, you, you, you defeat the Death Knight, you defeat the two zombies and the two skeletons along with the Death Knight, you get around the corner, and what do you find but, gosh darn it, a mummy. And the mummy had this, I had never done an aura before in Pathfinder, and he had this aura of despair. And as I recall, Brian actually failed his saving throw and was paralyzed for 1d4 rounds. I can't remember how many it was, but it was a couple. I, I was, this was one of the few combats where I straight up just about killed one of you guys, and quite a few of you were very low in hit points. We hadn't had a battle that close since the very first beginner box adventure, Black Fang's Dungeon, where you guys barely defeated Black Fang with a critical. This was the closest combat since that. Do you remember anything about the mummy fight? Yeah, and I think this one was different just because it was it was a bit of a marathon slog, right? So so we had the the two zombies and the Death Knight, and then followed up right by the mummy. So there was no chance to recoup, no chance to you know regather or you know sink hit points or whatever, anything like that. So the the back to back combat of harder monsters was was a big challenge for our group. Um, Thank goodness Chris was there, right? Because, you know, I think if, if we hadn't been a, a four-person team on this one, and more specifically that we didn't have our fighter, you know, to help us sink some of that damage, we, we would have really been done for. So, I really focused this game on getting you guys to the action, always teasing the next thing, giving you plenty of opponents with different mechanics, having that escalating combat, having it escalate to this crescendo of trying to defeat this mummy who's doing this evil ritual. Um, the one th the one place where we sort of fell flat, and I, and I, and I had not yet, you know, ever spoken with, with, with Tanner or had learned about the, 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 the clue rules from Gumshoe, um, you failed your roles to figure out what the mummy was up to. 
and we had just had a great game. We were we were ready to be done. After you guys defeated the mummy, this tension that had been building, 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 suddenly we were like, oh, okay, okay, we're done. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to let the dice fall where they may, and you guys aren't going to figure out what the mummy was up to. It's just going to be a mystery. Martin lets things be a mystery in his game, and it drives me nuts, which works for the game. I'm going to do the same thing here. Was that okay, or do you wish that you'd found out what, what the heck was happening here? I'm going to say that's okay, because I had completely forgotten about that, right? So the the thing that stuck out for me in this in this campaign, you know, when we, we briefly talked about it before the episode, was the floating, suspending, giant orb room underground, um, healing Shalalu, and kind of that dynamic between us and the guards. I remember there was a mummy. I absolutely forgot that the mummy was trying to perform a ritual or do a summoning or anything like that that we interrupted. So I would actually say in this case, the fact that we didn't belabor on the point that we, we failed to figure out something critical to the to the session, it, it worked out all right. All right, fair enough. So the one at, at the end of this, you know, by this point in our Pathfinder campaign, we were aware that we were going to do this podcast. Um, in fact, that we may have been recording just the first few episodes, and we were starting to, to sit down at the at the end of every session. We were capturing things to work on for next time, and I've said, I've got my notes here in front of me. And one of the things I captured was it was basically I noted that we had a tough time having negative feedback for this game, which we had a ton of negative feedback for a bunch of preceding games. Um, the one thing that we said was I fumbled a lot in that Pathfinder beginner box with those, I think it's 60 pawns it comes with, to find the right pawns. And I should have had your hero pawns like in a little baggie, and I should have had the monster pawns that I had chosen in a little baggie, so they were much more ready to go than me having to sort and paw through 60 pawns. Because I think that broke the tension a little bit, was me pawing through these pawns looking for looking for minis. Um, Throughout the rest of the Pathfinder campaign, actually, Mike, I started keeping your heroes and then the chosen monsters in baggies. Did you notice that speed things up? Yeah, I uh, I think the biggest impact it made was that it kept you from getting frustrated, right? Because I think one of the things that, that happens when, when you have to go through is, is you as the DM kind of get frustrated at yourself and then you feel like you're not prepped. And then now all of a sudden you're all in your own headspace of, oh man, I'm making my own game bad because I've got to sit here and dig through these pawns and keep these guys entertained while I shuffle through maps and pawns to find all the things I did. So... As far as actually moving the game along for us as the players, I don't know if that has as much of an impact of of reinforcing your um, um, good vibes, reinforcing you know your your confidence and and that the game is going smoothly. Got it. So maybe it's just the thing to help keep me cool. Yeah, that's fair. All right. So shorter episode this week, but it feels really good after talking about a lot of bad sessions that we've had to talk about one that went really well where I fed you like baby birds and we moved from scene to scene and every scene had a point and a thing that I was trying to convey about Sandpoint, about the guards, about, you know, what was going on down in this, in this sphere. So I really, I really enjoyed the session. I did too. Awesome. All right. Let's call that RPG lessons learned for this week. Sometimes you have a great session. You have a hard time coming up with negative feedback. Bask in those victories. 
<clears throat> in fact, reliving this with you, Mike, I, I need to think about this for our upcoming campaign and, and what I did here with giving you constantly the breadcrumbs to the next thing right there in the adventure, where in the middle of combat, you hear the next thing. In the middle of this, you see the next thing. I've got to do that. I've got to make sure I do that like I've already done in the past. All right. Thank you for listening. RPG Lessons Learned. People call them postmortems, evaluations, appraisals, reviews, retrospectives. We call them Lessons Learned, and we're sharing ours with you.